Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, guys, coming at you from Nashville once again. I'm sitting here with Jacob in his apartment, and we are one day away from the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers storytelling event that we're going to tomorrow night. If you're not coming to that, you're missing out. 
<laughs> yeah, no, you're right about that. Yeah, it seems like the uh, the Nashville apartment is becoming our new little studio uh, from, from how it seems like in our last couple of episodes. But, you know, yeah, so this week, guys, um, you know, again, kind of maybe do a recap of what we've been up to this past week. Getting this busy work and everything, guys, at least on my part. And then, uh, you know, just getting ready for this weekend. Uh, like Andrew said, we have the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers storytelling event. Um, and it, I think it's going to be an absolute blast. Uh, going to have a bunch of guys there. If I had a guess right now, it's looking like 35 to 40 different individuals going to be there. Uh, should make for a fun time, uh, you know, telling hunting stories and, you know, just having a good time with a bunch of different guys and meeting guys that's hunted all across the country. And a couple guys actually hunting across the world uh, who's actually going to be there this weekend. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah. that should make for a good time. But, Andrew, now what have you been up to uh, this past week? Just been busy, man. Been busy, busy, busy. Haven't had time to get out in the woods. Haven't had time to look at maps hardly. Haven't had time to do much until I came up here today. So I'm looking forward to relaxing this weekend and having a good time. Um, so, yeah, we're mentioning backcountry hunters and anglers. We kind of harped on when when we had Randy on last week. We kind of harped on, you know, if you if you are having trouble convincing yourself to go out west and hunt something because of the the quote-unquote knowledge hurdle that these kind of events are great things to go to because two weeks ago i was at one of these events and i ran into our guest today mr travis simmons uh who's going to be talking to us about antelope hunting how you can find tags well where to go how to hunt them all that stuff i ran into him talked to him for 30 40 minutes and i was like man you seem like you know your stuff you've obviously been antelope hunting a bunch he's got he had a bunch of cool stories man so i was like you want to come on the podcast and talk about this and he said sure and so now here we are so and well that's a cool resource guys about uh bha backcountry hunters and anglers you meet so many different guys that you know live in your neck of the woods especially in the south that have done hunts like this that can really help kind of coach you a little bit on maybe what you should need and what you should do and maybe even team up with you and actually do a hunt with you um you know, it's, this is a great opportunity, guys, to be able to meet some really cool individuals uh, at any of these events, whether it's a pike night, uh, one of these storytelling events, or one of our regional events that we might have. Um, so it's always a good time, and we always, you know, have fun with everybody we meet and, uh, you know, learn a lot. And it's always a good time, again, seeing everybody and, uh, again, to talk to people that you might just uh, be messaging through Facebook. But, uh, you know, let's talk about a little bit what we got going on this week, Andrew. You know, last week we talked <clears throat> with Randy. Uh, Newberg about you know western whitetails and how that's a really good uh, hunt to kind of get into for an easterner uh, to really branch out west and this week we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about you know another hunt that would be a really good intro into western hunting which is antelope now Andrew you know this is something that you know you had the opportunity of hunting a couple years ago that kind of fell through uh, doing antelope for your first hunt and I know it's something that Definitely still on my mind that I definitely want to go do is a is an antelope hunt. Just because the opportunities there, there's a lot of them, guys. Especially where you go, if you put a little research in, it can make for a really fun hunt. Yeah, uh, we had those plans. We bought doe tags in Wyoming, which were like forty. Or I think it was thirty eight dollars, which it's a little bit more now. They've gone up, but I mean, I think it's still below fifty dollars for a doe tag for a non resident, which is insane. That's very very cheap. So we bought some tags and we ended up not being able to go, but we did a whole bunch of studying and scouting on antelope, so I'm not totally in the dark about them, but I'm still very unfamiliar with them as a species, just because I haven't really pursued them yet. But Travis, our guest today, he's been out there and he's killed several antelope. Um, he's been out there several times. I think I think 
we'll clarify this later in the episode, but I think he said he'd been in Colorado and Wyoming hunting antelope. And he had a lot of success in Wyoming. And uh, so hopefully we'll be able to pick his brain about how you can find a tag, where you should go, over-the-counter opportunities versus drawing opportunities, and how to hunt antelope, really. I mean, because, you know, talking whitetails last week was one thing. You know, we're all familiar with whitetails. I think that everyone that listens to this is familiar with whitetails. But antelope is a, it's a totally different animal. Um, they, they hang out in these vast, vast open spaces that a lot of times are very flat, kind of hard to stalk in, but, I mean, it's not impossible. A lot, you know, actually, now that I mention that, I think the harvest success on our tag that we drew was, I mean, I think it was above 80%. I mean, it was, I think it might have been like 98 or something. And that was with firearms, right? Yes. Okay. And that's the cool thing, guys, about antelope. Um, they're one of the first majority, I mean, across the board, uh, it's a broad statement, but across the board, they're one of the first seasons that normally opens up is antelope. Uh, you know, first couple weeks of August is when they're opening up in, in a lot of states. For uh, archery. For archery, exactly. And really what a lot of guys do, and we'll talk about this a little bit, some tactics and everything, you know, just sit in water holes or, you know, spot and stock with your with your archery equipment is how you get it done. And then, you know, start getting into, uh, you know, later in September and October in certain states, it opens up the firearm seasons. And, you know, it's pretty much, you know, have your gun dialed in and try to get as close as possible to these animals who are very wary. But they're in great numbers. I mean, they are pure herd animals. And, like, you know, when you and me went out there to Wyoming, we probably saw in a week, just driving, I mean, not – not you know, we trying hunting, to them. but yeah, just driving. We probably saw close to a thousand. I think. I yeah, mean, it was it was unreal. I mean, you see herds of three, four hundred at a time in a couple different spots, and I mean, it's they're they're everywhere. Uh, so it's a great opportunity, guys. I think to uh, go out there and really have a fun hunt. I think that really would be a really fun hunt, especially if you did go with a with a firearm. Uh, it'd be one of those things that you could either stay at a hotel in a small town or just go out and truck camp and really just have a good time with some friends and you know. Be a little bit more budget friendly and budget minded, and you don't have to have so much, uh, you know, like hardcore gear. Yeah. And again, we'll kind of go into that, guys, about what gear you really need to do an uh, antelope hunt. And to be honest, it might be more appealing to some of y'all than uh, some of these other hunts we'll be talking about later. Yeah. It's a gateway drug. It is. That's it, what Newberg said. It's a gateway drug yes. into the Western world. Plus, I heard it tastes really, really good. I'm actually really excited to taste some antelope. Uh, so hopefully, we will try that sometime soon with one of our buddies. But. Andrew, do you have anything else you want to stay? Uh, no, man. Hey, other than I'm, I'm getting geared up for whitetails. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, that's that's kind of our mindset now, guys. You know, we're, we're definitely, you know, thinking right now to kind of relate with all y'all in some western hunting, but you know, whitetails is in the back of our mind. But let's hop into our main interview with Travis. All right, now we're here with our guest Travis Simmons, who I met at a BHA party. Uh, I guess it was two weeks ago. So, Travis, how are you doing, buddy? I can't complain, man. I can't complain. Getting looking forward to the, the uh, upcoming season. I hear that. I think we all are. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. And uh, along with me being here, we also have our buddy Joey Bell. Joey, how are you doing? I'm good, guys. Uh, I'm like Travis here. I'm looking looking forward to the upcoming season and uh, putting some boots on the ground this summer and getting ready, man. I'm always ready. Yeah. Awesome. I hear awesome. that, dude. So we're just going to be talking a little bit about antelope getting antelope tags, going antelope hunting, finding antelope, shooting antelope, maybe even eating antelope. <laughs> a little bit of everything antelope today, which Mr. Randy Newberg says is the gateway drug to western hunting. So, uh, 
Yeah, man. So, Travis, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience going out west and uh, pursuing antelope? Like, where have you been? How have you done? Just all that stuff. Good. Yeah, the first time I did it, I've been out to uh, Wyoming twice so far. Uh, The first time, actually, was on my honeymoon, no kidding. Uh, Got a, you know, a flight out there, whatever, and all I picked up was an antelope doe tag. Uh, Just a leftover deal. Whenever I headed out there, I may have only got four hours to go hunt, but uh, I didn't really want to stuff an antelope in the back of a rental car, so uh, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of passed on that that opportunity. But uh, that was the first time, and it really got me hooked. I mean, there was—I mean, I'd never seen anything like it before. I mean, and people talk about all the time saying, you know, it's uh, you know it's gorgeous inside the national parks and everything, but it's just pretty outside of the parks. It is is inside. Uh, that was the first time that bug kind of got put into me, and uh, I saved up every bit of vacation I had for the next year and made a three-and-a-half-week trip out of it. And, uh, started in Colorado, ended up Wyoming for uh, you know everything from uh, Colorado elk, Wyoming mule deer, and then uh, antelope. I had a bunch of antelope tags out there, so I got two good trips in. And, uh, had a little success this past year with them. It was uh, it was a ball. Now, Travis, what got you so excited about, or what got you interested in hunting out west, especially just for antelope in general? Uh, antelope, really, I was. I mean, it seemed like that was really an easier type thing to do. You know, uh, I, all I was hearing about them was you know they're very plentiful, and you know uh, the success rates on them are well over 90 percent so uh you know i I didn't want to cash in and uh make that big plunge out west without you know knowing or having a better opportunity to really to bring something back you know get to tell the stories on it more than anything but uh really that's really what did it uh you know with the leftover tags in wyoming it's kind of hard to beat yeah and those doe tags are like dirt cheap because i bought one two years ago didn't get to go but it was like 40 bucks for a non-resident yeah. to go out there and hunt a doe antelope. Yeah, 40, 50 bucks now. I mean, they're, I mean that's that's great price. Yeah. You know, left over in there. I mean, you can get several of them. So where did you go to look to, to figure out where you were get where you could get these tags? I'm guessing just antelope, their game and fish website, antelope, Wyoming game and fish website? Yeah, Wyoming game and fish has got a, you know, they're really up to par as far as their uh, website goes. Uh, you can get on there and click on their uh, hunt planner. I believe it's a hunt planner. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and pick a species. I mean, whatever you want to hunt. I mean, if it's antelope, click on it, and it takes you from there. Uh, it, it shows you all the WMAs, the units, any walk-in areas, any of that stuff. It really does. It, it's got a pretty good, you know, it gives you a pretty good idea where to start. Yeah, I've used that. We use that hunt planner for our mule deer hunt, and I used it for antelope. And then I've just played around with it for elk and everything. And that that hunt planner is a that's probably the best resource I've seen of any state agency. Where it's an interactive map, it shows you all the public land, and you can click on it by unit and see how many tags are available, harvest success rates, draw odds, how many. Uh, or how much tags cost, like buck tags versus doe tags, 
it's a it's a nice tool to have that's completely free so you can just hop on there and start looking at stuff to figure out what you want to do without committing yeah. to anything yeah it's really a pretty good you know useful tool there it'll tell you you know limited access areas i mean it it really tells you everything you need to know uh it's uh it's something special yeah, and about that limited access. So a lot of these over-the-counter antelope tags are going to be in, uh, you know, you'll find a unit that has an asterisk next to it, and it has that asterisk because it's quote-unquote limited access. There's not as much public land as in other units, which to us Easterners, it, it's a lot different because out there, you know, they have a 500-acre piece, and they're like, man, that's tiny. It's worthless. It's how we would look at like a five-acre piece. I mean, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot different out there. But those units are the ones that you can draw tags in. And if you have a good map you can go off of, like if you could uh, look at the uh, interactive map when you were out there, if you had something like OnX or maybe a printed map with property boundaries, you can go into these, uh, you know, hard-to-public-access areas, I guess, and you can go in there and find antelope based on the terrain and everything and get on them. And we saw thousands of them going across Wyoming when we drove through there. Yeah, I, I believe, you know, uh, antelope outnumber residents of Wyoming. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, they probably you know, to be able to go out there, yeah, I mean, you've really got a really good chance of doing a tag. And that's, uh, you know. Now, I, well, Travis, one thing I was going to say is, you know, what made you decide on Wyoming for antelope in general? I mean, what, what made you want to go to that state? Well, originally it was, uh, like I said, we went out on honeymoon and uh, decided to go through Jackson Hole and whatever else. I thought, well, I wonder, you know, what all's actually in season besides, you know, fishing. I might be able to sneak away and go fishing for a little bit. Um, I got on their website and actually, you know, found out that they had leftover tags. I guess I'd missed the uh, main drawing. And uh, I believe it's usually at the end of May whenever they do their deer and antelope. Mm-hmm. drawings out there but uh there's always leftover units in wyoming so uh really just because i'd already been out there or i was going out there and uh, just got lucky and saw that they were you know they were going to have leftover tags i thought man, i might as well just get a doe tag so that's what i did i grabbed one doe tag up and i thought well let's see what this is all about see if i'm wasting my money or you know before i go putting even more money into buck tags and you know, more doe tags or elk or whatever else it was uh, really on my mind. But the antelope, especially with them being cheaper, you know, uh, with a leftover doe tag, it, you know, like Andrew said, 50 bucks, 40, 50 bucks. I mean, that's, you know, that, that is dirt cheap. So uh, I, before really throwing the money at, at elk or mule deer or whatever else, I, I wanted to go ahead and at least, you know, get my feet wet with uh, seeing what I could. Yeah, I hear that. That was man. the main thing. So we've kind of covered tags and how to go about finding tags and buying tags and everything. So for us Easterners out here, you know, that's 1,700 miles away for a lot of us or more. So scouting isn't really an option unless you're rich and have a lot of vacation time. <laughs> so I guess uh, how would you go about scouting for them on a map? Like is there some kind of terrain feature you'd look for? Or uh, some kind of feature on the landscape, like a waterhole or a river, or, or something like that that you might try to key in on uh, when you're map scouting. 
really the first thing that I was doing, you know, knowing that they would be, they should be, you know, from uh, going from not knowing anything about them at all to uh, at least having somewhat of an idea now. Uh, the first thing I really did was cross off any national forest. You know, if you look at a map, you know, you're, it's pretty much it's colored up. So you're looking at green. The green is national forest. You're looking at yellow. Yellow is the BLM land, which for the most part is somewhat lower land, especially in Wyoming. And, yeah. Uh, and the state lands, you know, the state lands should pop up blue. So I was really looking, you know, at yellow and blue dots on that map and that's where I started with uh, and just like I said on the uh, Game of Fish website you know they've got a real good walk-in area program and uh, hunter management areas which are nothing more than WMAs that we would call them here uh, I started with there and found lower line area and went from there started hitting fence lines uh, you know property boundaries anything like that uh, I'd start mark, marking them off on my map, you know, which way can I access this side? Where are the property boundaries? That's probably where I'm going to start because, you know, I didn't get started hunting until probably midway through their rut, which, if I'm not mistaken, I think that their tags usually start around middle of September or the 1st of September. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I think I got there about the third week of September. I thought, well, these things may be getting pushed around or whatever else, so they're probably going to be around boundary or uh, you know boundary lines and all that. So that really that was the first place I started with it. Hey Travis, um, I got a quick question about you know how far off the road or how far off the beaten path did you find these antelope? I know you know we hear Randy Newberg talk about uh, the roadless areas on the Onyx on the Onyx Maps app. And uh, it's not something that we can really utilize here in the east, but I was just wondering if, did you notice a more denser population of antelope once you got away from the roads, or were there just so many of those antelope out there that it didn't really matter where you were, they were just everywhere? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, as far as driving the roads, you know, going in before I even hit the unit that I was going to be hunting, you know, you'd see them stacked up on any type of irrigated field, anything like that, any kind of cropland, whatever, anywhere there was low-line areas like that, I mean, it, it was, they were stacked up pretty good. But once you hit the public land, you know, obviously the stuff that we were going to, or I was going to be able to access, yeah, they weren't right off of the road. So, I mean, if you get up and actually uh, get motivated enough to get about a mile off of the park, you know, away from parking areas and, and uh you know, main roads, stuff like that, they were in the center of the property. I mean, they either were in the center of the property or they were on those boundary lines right at private property. I mean, that was that was it. But I think the last place that I ended up killing, I think the last one that I killed was a, a, a buck, and he was a good two and a half miles back. But with probably 30 does, two other bucks, I mean, they were spread out. Some The younger bucks at the time were kind of spread out. So I'd see one smaller buck here, and then, you know, you look over four or 500 yards away, there'd be another one either bedded down or just cruising, you know, waiting to still doze away from, uh, from the bigger ones. But really a little bit of both. But once once I hit the private or the public land, yeah, they you had to walk a little bit. But, you know, 
like I said, the first one I actually killed, I cut, the, when I went out, I actually killed two bucks, and then I had three doe tags that I took, and I only killed one doe. I said, I've, I've got enough. You know, I mean, by the time I started filling coolers up, I said, yeah, I think I'm done. I'm not going to shoot the next two does. So I still had a mule deer tag letter on that week. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it really is. It's a mix of both, to do the truth. Now, Travis, uh, you know, first of all, it sounded like you had a really good hunt when you went out there. and But, you know, once you kind of figured out an area that you wanted to hunt, when you had when you hit boots on the ground, were you pretty much, like, what was your tactics when you had boots on the ground? Were you just trying to cover as much ground as possible? Were you glassing? Were you just, you know, what was your tactic once you hit the ground uh, when you started leaving the truck, uh, when you, you know, were hiking out trying to find these animals? Uh, really, it was just slowly just still hunting. I'd slip up, you know, around the edge of a property, you know, if I didn't, anytime I'd cross over a hill, if I'd get up on top of a hill, I'd sit down for 15, 20 minutes, you know, break out the binos and just start scanning. And when I was there, it was during the middle of the rut. So these things were, I mean, they were running wide open. I mean, it's almost like these things get up the first crack of daylight, a doe starts running and they're all chasing. And, uh, Maybe I just hit it right, but that was really all I had planned on doing was just slipping around to see what I could see. And after the first day, I realized that I could actually start being a little pickier with what bucks I was seeing. And um, but that was the main thing: get up up on top of any anything, any high point, and uh, break out the binos and start looking. But uh, I think you. I think you may have said before you were rifle hunting out there. Uh, what kind of rifle did you take out there, and did you have to take any longer shots uh, than you would over here in the eastern part of the U.S.? Yeah, it was a. Uh, I'd actually bought that rifle and you know kind of played around with it and bedded it and you know just really just wanted to tinker around with something. But I ended up getting a twenty-five out six and a, a Remington uh, seven hundred long range and started working hand loads for it just really to play around with it totally unnecessary you know i mean what i had regular deer lease right around here in tennessee i mean i, I could have took it out there you know just a, an old remington 7400 you know automatic you know semi-automatic or something would have been perfectly fine um, i did want that bolt action so you know i went ahead and caught the money i bought it and started playing around with it but you know it it wasn't necessary to say the least but i did it and you know as far as range the last one i shot was probably he was pushing trying to get to 300 yards but the other two that i killed were well well under 200 yards i mean it nothing more than what i couldn't get in middle tennessee you know on, on her normal deer lease uh, and plus i'm just not going to take a shot you know, past 300 yards, never really get to do that much around here. But uh, I probably had some opportunities to shoot further, but I really there was enough, you know, critters around to not really have to take that poke. Now, that's one thing that, you know, Travis, you see, especially if you watch television, you know, outdoor television, is that, you know, guys taking, especially with a firearm, with a rifle, you know, pretty far shots at antelope, you know, sometimes because of terrain, because they can't, you know, close the distance close enough to be able to take, you know, a shot under two or 300 yards. 
But it sounds like you had at least enough terrain features where you were hunting or shrubbery or vegetation that, you know, you were able to get in close enough to take a, you know, a very ethical shot for an Easterner. I mean, is that kind of like the situation you were in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, pretty much I was in any kind of rolling prairies. I mean, so, you know, you look at the waves on an ocean, that's really, that's what it looked like. I mean, it was just up, down, up, down. There were still a lot of flat spots in between that. But uh, there was a lot of rolling country, and as long as you would prop up on one top of one hill, you could see where you needed to be. So back off of that hill and start slipping around, get as close as I could, keep using that hill for cover, because uh, there was the only a cover you really had other than the hills itself were you know sagebrush that's no more than two foot tall, you know, and it's really spread out, but. Yeah, using the train itself was you know, the biggest key, I think, for me being able to get in a little bit closer. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, there weren't any trees whatsoever. I mean, there was no trees. The only thing we really had were you know, sagebrush. That was it. That was it. Yeah, so you, you get out there and you have this very roundabout way of hunting that you have to do where you're getting on you know, a glass and knob, you spot something, and you swing around basically in a big semicircle to get to it. Um, so out there, are you finding, just out of curiosity, are you finding a lot of you know, high knobs to get on, or is it mostly just kind of flat land and you're sitting there watching over the sagebrush ocean, as some people call it? Um, I, have, I did have both. I had the rolling hills in one place and maybe no more than 10 to 15 miles away there was another little track of land that you know probably wasn't 500 acres that I do think people were kind of overlooking and it was just nothing but a flat I mean there was nothing on this thing but if you got out got away from the road I literally you know walked out maybe three four hundred yards from the uh from the parking area and just sat down you know I mean I, I knew that was really all I had as far as that property went but when I went out, sat down, give it 20, 30 minutes, and I got lucky enough and actually spotted a herd coming through. Hmm. So, uh, you know, as far as that goes, that was it. But, uh, you know, it, unfortunately in that spot, I, you know, there were only, you know, a few does or something, so I wasn't interested in those at the time. But Yeah. Uh, yeah, when we got our tag, we talked to a lot of people out there, and, you know, you got the rolling hills, and you got the flatlands, and then in other parts of this unit that we had tags in, there's a little bit rougher terrain, like rocky hills and stuff, and people were telling us to not even go into the rocky hills, because that's more mule deer country, and there there wouldn't be any antelope in there, and then towards the other side of the unit, you had some more flatlands, you had rolling hills, and then uh, there's actually, I think, part of a ranch that was in a hunter management area that was flat, had a big water hole on it. So that's where we were going to go. But uh, were, did you, were you ever in any like rougher country, like rougher hill country, maybe rockier hills, maybe something a little steeper? Uh, with the antelope, not really. Yeah. Uh, it was a whole lot milder terrain you know, than what I had come from, from Colorado, elk hunting in an over-the-counter unit i mean it was straight up straight down you know eleven and a half thousand feet and i can't remember elevation wise when i was in uh wyoming but yeah it was very mild compared to that i mean i, I really didn't tackle that nasty steep you know uh, 
ravine-type stuff in Wyoming where I was finding antelope. <clears throat> now, Travis, uh, when, when you were out there on your antelope hunts, you know, what's some of the gear that, you know, that you would use back east that would transition pretty well over to an antelope hunt? And then also, was there any other gear, on the, on the second question, is there any other gear that you had to purchase, you know, specifically for that hunt um, that you might have needed? The, the first time I went out, I actually, uh, I didn't, I, you know, I really didn't buy anything other than the rifle itself to go do it. And I had a cheapo pair of binos that were 10 by 42s, I believe, that I may have paid 40 bucks on clearance at a, you know our local store here and with those by i mean they were not the best by any means but they did everything that i really it was that i needed for them to do you know i could still see you know length the horn on, on antelope bucks and uh, i i didn't see the nest the need you know to go upgrade the you know $3,500 optics, you know, I mean, <laughs> the second trip out, I ended up, I, the bug bit me, and I said, ah, man, I would like to have a, a good pair of binos, so I ended up with, you know, what I would say a, a good piece, a good pair of uh, budget, you know, binos, which were uh, the Vortex Vipers, I ended up with Vortex Vipers, and I believe I actually uh, slid down in uh, magnification, so where I had the cheapo pair that were 10 by 42s. I actually bought a better set of the, Vor- the Vortex Vipers in 8x42s. That's what and, I was running. Uh, I, I love them. I absolutely love them. I mean, they, they're clear. You know, I, I actually had, had it caught up in my mind that I need, uh, you know, 12s plus, the, you know, magnification-wise to actually see these things. But I, you know, I don't think that I had a problem, you know, uh, spying these things out at with eight by 42s now what other gear you know did you use over there uh that you know transitioned really well you know when it came to camouflage backpack uh boots i mean was all that pretty similar what you're using back east or did you change any of that at all yeah as far as uh, camo the first time i i used nothing more than you know uh, real three hardwoods which you know obviously didn't match you know the air terrain I was in, but, uh, you know, I don't think that really come into play as far as, you know, uh, camo, you know, as long as I hit behind a hill or whatever, you know, it doesn't matter what camo you use. Uh, I ended up this past year or the past, the last time I went buying some, uh, I think it was uh, Browning. I got some of their gear, uh, which is kind of a, uh, you know, that desert look to it. And, mm-hmm. uh, it may help a little bit. Makes me feel better about it anyway. But uh, yeah, I, as far as camo, I usually don't get too caught up in camo. Uh, I mean, you can really whatever you've got that you use here, uh, you can use right out there. Um, as long as it breaks up your outline. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. That, I think that's the biggest thing. Just break something up. Uh, well, another thing I was going to ask you about is this your backpack. Uh, when you were able to harvest your, you know, your antelope, did you quarter them up and pack them out? Uh, yes, and, especially the doe. I got, well, I got lucky the first time and uh, was within 600 yards of the truck when I shot my first bug. I, and, and in Wyoming, just a little side note here, 
uh, in Wyoming, if you're looking at a leftover tag, uh, any of the leftover tags as far as antelope in Wyoming, you're able to get two buck tags and then, you know, several doe tags if you're wanting. Now, if you go into a limited entry unit, you know, one of their prized units that actually takes a few points to build up for, you really only get that one buck tag. But if they are leftover units, you're able to get two tags. So that's what I did on this hunt was I grabbed two buck tags on my last hunt and uh, I think three doe tags. So the first buck that I killed, I got lucky and wasn't probably 600 yards away from the truck. And I thought, man, I, you know, I was, I was weighing out my options here. I was like, man, if I drag this thing, I can drop it straight off the process because I had another two weeks left on the hunt that I thought, well, I'm obviously not going to be able to keep this thing in a cooler or whatever else and keep it hung up somewhere with 75 plus degree temps. So I found a local processor and actually had him take that deer in or that antelope in and, uh, was lucky I didn't have to pack that one out. So I, you know, I, I sucked it up and, uh, actually drug that thing about 600 yards to back to the truck, loaded that first one up. The second, antelope that I killed on that trip was a doe and that one I actually packed out I quartered it up and uh you know through it I've got an Everly stock I believe it's what is that thing it's a uh, uh blue widow it's more along the lines of a uh, archery type backpack and I quartered it up used some good game bags and uh, threw it in there I mean you know packed it out about a mile the second buck that I actually shot was uh, a good two and a half miles back, and that one, that one, I put a pretty good sweat on to get that one out. But uh, that same backpack, I mean, that was, I can't say enough about that pack. I mean, I, I really, I got bit and bought way too many of those. You know, I mean, so I would suggest if you're actually wanting to go out there and do this thing, like, you don't have to buy all this new equipment. A good backpack, absolutely. You know, something you can throw quarters in for an antelope hunt is great. Travis, how game much? Bags, uh, as far as that goes too, I'd say, you know, get you some decent game bags. Yeah, how much? Uh, how much meat would you expect to get off an average size buck or a doe? And uh, how much cooler space do you think you need before you go out there, uh, just to bring just to bring the meat back and maybe uh, enough room for a European mount or two? Um, the Euro mount, I ended up getting one mounted. My first one, which was a little bit smaller than the second buck that I killed. I actually got it mounted just because it was my first one. I, I thought, yeah, let's get this one mounted. So the second one that I packed out, I just did a Euro mount on it and quartered it up, you know, packed it all out. I would bet maybe 65 pounds. You know, once you get these things quartered up, I mean, they're no more than your normal size deer around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially, you know, southern whitetail or whatever, you're, you're looking at right at the thing same type of weight so once i had four quarters and back straps and uh make me I, I would say 60 to 65 pounds uh bone in well, and cape maybe you know i had a few pounds of the cape too and uh skull but uh I, you're looking right at 65 if i had bet so now talking to staying on the subject of the meat and everything how'd you like the meat what's the meat taste like I'm going to have to say that I like it better than the whitetail. There you go. You know, and Come on. <laughs> I've, I've, I've killed a whole lot more whitetails, you know, here in Tennessee, and I, I love whitetail. But that's all I heard when I went out west. I got around 
you know, I went to the store and bought a couple of bags of ice here at some little local gas station. And, um, you know, everybody in, like a normal small town, you know, just hanging out at the gas station. Got in there, got stalked to them. They said, well, did you kill one? Yeah. And, uh, they walked out there. I'm guessing they thought it was actually a deer or something, something they wanted to look at. But when they got back back to the truck, they saw this antelope. And they were like, well, that's an antelope. I was like, yeah, that's an antelope. Yeah, I'm proud of my antelope. And uh, <laughs> the, guy, the guy looked at it and was like, man, I'm glad you're killing him. He said, nobody around here really wants to kill him. I, and he kind of took me down a notch, you know, there for a minute. I thought, man, I drove all the way from Tennessee to go kill this thing. And they're already down in the antelope. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, most of those guys, I think it's a misconception, really, of, how that meat tastes. I mean, the one guy I talked to, he was like, boy, he said, I wouldn't eat them things from nothing. You know, they, they called them prairie life, you know. Yep. But uh, yep. he said, yeah, he said, the only way to eat those things is really to pepper it up and, you know, make jerky out of it. That, that'd be the only way I eat it. I thought, well, yeah, I've got this bad idea of what these things are actually going to taste like because all I heard was, oh, they taste like, you know, I mean, trash and sage and whatever else. And they talked really about the mule deer the same way. But uh, that's not what I found at all. I mean, antelope meat is, it does have a slightly different texture, you know. But I really, I like it a lot better than I do whitetail, I'd have to say. I even let my dad have some of it, you know. And we never eat burger, you know, regular hamburger, deer burger, whatever, and put it on a hamburger bun. You know, we won't grill it and throw it on a hamburger bun. We'll mix it up in a spaghetti and stuff like that. I actually uh, made antelope burgers out of it, and you know, he, he's like, "Man, what is this?" You know, I thought it was antelope. He said, "No, no, these things can't taste like this." Said, yeah, that's antelope. But I, I love it. I, I like antelope a whole lot better than I like their local whitetails. Now, Travis, an- another thing that you kind of said that kind of brought something to my attention is, you know, a lot of people, and I've heard, you know, like you heard uh, from other individuals saying that, you know antelope don't take don't really taste that good and i think the reason why they say that is because they don't take care of the meat because you know you're you're harvesting these animals and it's extremely hot outside a lot of people will not gut the animals quick enough and will not let the meat cool down quick enough uh and and that's really what gives that gamey taste to it and it has a lot you know uh, acid built up in the animal as well so I think that's the number one issue. So if you, if you really just take care of your meat, and that's like with any animal across the board, whether it's whitetail, mule deer, elk, antelope, anything, you know, as long as you take care of the meat and you let the meat cool down properly, you gut the animal, and you really just, again, just take care of the meat, you know, it's going to taste good. And, you know, I've heard a lot of guys say that antelope tastes really well and tastes good when you prepare the meat correctly and you take care of the meat correctly. And it seems like you probably did that at least pretty well uh, for it to turn out pretty well. Um, but, you know, I think that's a huge factor that a lot of guys kind of overlook, especially when they're hunting out there. And, you, like you said, it's 75, 80 degrees. They kind of look over that and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll ruin the meat in a heartbeat. And that's one reason why that, you know, that gentleman probably said that he only makes it into jerkies because, to be honest, it might only be jerky by the time he gets it back down to the truck and back down to the cooler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it, yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's usually the first thing I'm doing is, you know, get the hide off those things, get them cooled, get get air to them, get these things cooled down. That was my, my biggest fear, especially packing this thing out, was, you know, I, I've got a good little hike ahead of me. Um, you know, my number one fear was I do not want to be tasting this. 
you know, nasty antelope that these people have been telling me about. Well, uh, it's just getting hotter and hotter. And I, 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 the whole time my stomach's churning, thinking, you know, oh, man, this thing's going to be awful. But, man, I, if you get it cooled down, you know, don't drive it around the back of a truck and show it off for, you know, hours on end before you ever gut it and whatever else. But uh, get the meat cooled down. Get it more, get it cooled down, get it in decent game back, and get it out of there and get it on ice. Debone it, do pro, start processing it, whatever you got to do. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was by far the best. You know, uh, it's my favorite meat right now. I mean, uh, there's no getting around it. As far as wild game meat, I'm an antelope fan. Well, let's talk about that for a second uh, when it comes to just meat care because we haven't spoken on that yet on the Western series, and that's very important. Which I, I know a lot of West or a lot of Easterners are really bad about meat care. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I know guys that legit will kill a deer, not gut it, put it in the back of the truck, and will wait four or five hours before they take it to, the, to a processor. They ride During, around town. Yeah. They got to show all their buddies. Yeah, got to take it, it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take it to the gas station. Well, especially during, like, bow season. And that is the opposite of what you need to do, especially out west. And I, I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about that and kind of, you know, what was your thought on that when it came to, you know, cording an animal up, you know, you know, skinning the animal, and also just packing the animal out and keeping it cool. Because again, a lot of Easterners don't realize that they're used to like, you know, dragging a deer out whole, maybe gutting it if they do that, and taking it down to the processor if they don't process it themselves. Uh, with my background, I, I do process most of my all of my animals. Andrew's kind of the same way. So, you know, meat care to me is huge. You know, I'm always taking care of my meat, skinning the animal, and really trying to cool it down as quickly as possible. But for the average Easterner, they probably don't do that. And I know that's a learning curve for when you go out west because you have to do that. I mean, you're not, you're rarely ever pulling an animal out whole, especially if you're going on an antelope hunt when it's hot. You know, the quicker you can cool that meat down, the better. So, what was kind of your learning curve with that going out there and, you know, trying to have, you know, the, in the back of your mind, you know, I got to cool this meat down as quick as possible? And, you know, how did you go about doing that? Well, the, the doe that I ended up shooting, uh, that I ended up packing out, quartered it up, packed it out, had the back straps, whatever else. And I think it was four, five game bags. I used five game bags. I can't remember exactly what the game bags were. They were the mesh ones at first. And mm-hmm. uh, I think on two antelope, I used the mesh ones, and I ended up buying some uh, caribou game uh game bags that were, you know, I mean, they're reusable. You know, you pay a little bit more for them, but... Man, they're, they're awesome. You know, I mean, reuse them, wash them out, throw them right back in the pack and go on. Uh, they're ready for the next critter. Uh, when I shot the doe and I actually quartered it up, got it out, like I said, I had a pretty decent hike ahead of me. When I got it back, it was already dark. It was during an evening hunt. And after maybe an hour, two hour, I'd say a good two-hour hike out. And uh, once I got it back to camp, which is probably another 45 minutes away from where I was actually camped at on on a river, I already had it in the game bags or whatever, so I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to throw this thing on the ice, and I was still actually taking that meat to a processor, because I still had another week and a half left to hunt, so I had to get it to a processor, and uh, once I did that, I got it back to camp, and I hung it up, I was camped right on a creek, so, you know, at night, it was still cooled down a pretty good amount, I would say it get mid-30s, you know, uh, so going from 75 back down to 35 in the mornings, you know, was really, it was perfect. I could cool that thing down. Being next to a creek, you know, you're obviously going to be a little bit cooler there, but uh, that's what I did. I, you know, I was camping out of a, a little tent on the side of a creek there. I made a little 
clothesline, basically, is what I did. I, you know, I didn't have but a couple of trees around, so uh, I tied off to one tree and actually hooked through my windshield of my truck and, yeah, and uh, made a little clothesline, hooked the game bags up, hung them up overnight, waited till the next morning, got up, took it to that process of the next morning, called him up, said, hey, man, well, you can take this, you know, uh, antelope in. Said, yeah, yeah, bring it over. And that's another thing I'd say about, you know, people out west. If you go to a processor, if you have to go to a processor, you know, uh, the one I got was great to deal with. I mean, you know, he was a great guy. I mean, he, he was awesome to deal with. Dropped it off. You know, yeah, come on back. He said, I'll have it ready for you, whatever. Cut it up the way I wanted it. And uh, really, that was it. Well, that's, keeping that thing cool right around a creek or whatever really helped me out, I believe, being camp there. Mm-hmm. I think, again, that's something that's really different from, you know, hunting back east that a lot of guys don't understand is, you know, they a lot of guys back east think you have to have it on ice to keep the meat, you know, from turning, where in reality you just got to keep it, you know, below about 50 degrees and it'll, it'll hold for a couple of days. Um, and, and that's kind of like what you were doing. You allowed it to cool down throughout the evening and throughout the evening uh, until the next day, which, you know, really helped that meat, you know, stay in a good uh, consistency. So once you took it to the processor, it wasn't all, like, already turned. Um, but It's almost like you're aging it. Yeah, that. yeah. And a lot, yeah. a lot of people out east don't understand that either. Like, I've started to learn how to dry age my own uh, venison, uh, which has helped a lot with flavor. Because a lot of guys back east, you know, like, oh, you got to put it in, like, a saltwater brine or something like that to get that – gamey taste out which actually deteriorates the meat and it's not good for it where if you dry age it either in a cooler in a in a refrigerator whatever however you want to do it actually you can age in your in your freezer it just takes a long time but uh it it really does help with the meat and allows that meat to slowly break down and become more tender and you know i age some of my meat up to 24 days uh, if if i have the patience for it but you know that's kind of something different that you know a lot of easterners don't think about but you know you kind of learn pretty quickly on how to manage your meat which sounds really good and it turned out well for you but you know one thing i wanted to ask you was you know what's for you doing that hunt what was the largest um Oh, well, I guess that's not the right answer, right question to ask. What was the uh, most expensive uh, part of that trip, um, just to make that hunt happen? Well, as far as the uh, tags go, if I'm mistaken. I think your uh, antelope buck tags are three sixty. I'm gonna say three sixty. Uh, it's right there at that. I ended up buying two of those, which you know, say you're six to seven hundred bucks with that, or seven hundred bucks there with that. Uh, I would say that would be the cost on two buck tags. Now, most people probably don't buy two, you know, antelope buck tags. Uh, um, other than that, I would say gas because I spent a lot, or I saved a lot of money not going to hotel rooms mm-hmm. uh, during the big trip when I was out there three and a half weeks. I think I stayed in a hotel for four days in a hotel and uh, you know, of course I'm not too picky anyway I bought you know the local roach motels or whatever and uh, <laughs> got away with it there but really I spent four nights in a hotel there so you know we'll say 60 bucks a night for that the biggest cost was the tag itself and gas you know I probably spent right at 600 bucks in gas going out there and going out I ended up you know, trying to sit down and really figure out the bill on that. You know, how many miles is this going to take? How much scouting am I going to do whenever I'm out there? You know, plus just riding around, 
hanging out. Uh, and I think I calculated up right at 5,500 miles for that trip. And that was three and a half weeks. You know, If most people go out, they're probably only going to take one week of vacation. Say you get the weekend before and a weekend after, seven total days. You spend a day and a half, two days driving out and the same coming back. You should have five days of hunting out there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if, you know, I, just to say you should have it, if you can do it with a buddy, I went by myself on the last trip. So, you know, I mean, three and a half weeks by myself, I, you know, I, I saved a lot more money because I didn't have that picky buddy with me, you know, wanting to stay in a motel. But uh, I would say that would be it, gas and the tag. Uh, if you can take over those, then you've got it beat. Yeah, and- you know, most people have that money in their budget somewhere. You know, it, it could be skimping instead of buying that new rifle, you know, put that money towards the tag or instead of going to Mickey D's twice a week, <laughs> start saving that money. But uh, we've kind of covered tags, equipment, how to hunt them and everything. I want to I wanna hear about your hunt out there, your best hunt, you know, uh, maybe one of your better bucks out there. How did it all go down when when you got out there, how you started hunting, when you saw him, how you made the stock? I, I want to hear how it all went down. The last day I was there in Wyoming for antelope, I'd already seen this the second buck that I ended up killing, which was my bigger buck. I'd actually saw that buck hanging out with the does that I'd shot earlier in that week, probably about three days before. I think I spent a total of about six days antelope hunting before I headed down south to uh, go after a uh, mule deer for a week. And I had, I think, five days on that tag to fill a mule deer tag. Well, on the second buck that I killed, I, like I said, I, I passed on him the first time. He was in a group on the second day. I killed my smaller buck on the first day. The next day, I come out and uh, shot the doe you know, put her up, took her out. But that, that bug that I ended up passing on was the one I ended up shooting the last day. So they were still hanging out in this, you know, same area, this same unit there, you know, same little piece of uh, property that I was hunting there. And he was the only one, you know, I think he was, I think there were six does, if I'm mistaken, there were six total does there. Well, I shot one of those, you know, took her out and uh, started spending the rest of my time throughout that week hoping that I had that place to come back to, you know, if I hadn't seen another buck that was actually bigger than that one. So uh, I bounced around to several other par- or, uh, properties and I saw several other bucks, nothing as big as that one. I thought, man, I wonder if I could go back and actually see that buck again with that same group of those. And, you know, the last day that I was there, I got lucky enough, hiked in, and that was the one I ended up about two and a half miles back, hiked in right at daylight, got set up. There was one knob on uh, one hill that I ended up hiking up to. Sat there. I had a spot scope, too. I did buy a spot scope, so I'd find them with the binos, and once I find them, throw the spot scope up and, you know, judge size on them. And uh, so I was sitting there, and I, I mean, right off the it's almost like these things uh, the, the does get up in the morning and the first thing they do is find a buck to make them chase and I mean it's miles after miles that's all they do is run during the middle of that rut you know it's like a eastern whitetail on steroids you know as far as the running part of them I and mean, these things can fly so uh, 
kind of stand way outside of the herd. And uh, I, I ended up watching that same antelope bug for a good four hours. And I sat there and watched it and watched it and watched it. And I'll bet in four hours that deer or that antelope ran three out of four hours. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, just just watching them run the entire time was, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I was like, how do you guys do this, you know? But I ended up taking that one. Uh, I think it was probably, like I said, 250, you know, pushing 300 yards on a shot. And uh, got in there, I was, I mean, I was thrilled. You know, to be able to see it the first time, passed on it the first time, and then come back and kill it again a few days later, I, it was uh, it was a trip of a lifetime, to say the least. Now, again, Travis, it sounds like you had an awesome hunt uh, this past year when you went out there. You know, what do you believe helped you become so successful on that hunt and having so much success? Uh, I make a lot of lists. You know, uh, as far as uh, I, I think it was preparation before I went. You know, I mean, I obviously, I, I didn't know much about antelope. You know, I still really don't know everything at all about antelope by no means, but uh, I mean, I was successful just being, you know, somebody that, you know, really didn't know anything about them. But I think preparation before was the biggest thing, you know, trying to, you know, work up logistics of the entire trip. You know, how many nights a hotel am I going to actually spend? You know, how much money am I going to spend on it? That's what I was worried about more, more than anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, really knowing that when I would get there, the preparation as far as looking at maps, you know, the Onyx map system, I mean, those guys, they've got it figured out. Uh, you know, I was worried, that, you know, do I buy the GPS, whatever else, and I ended up not buying a GPS. Uh, just bought the Onyx map system, and once I did that, you know, obviously you can use it right there on your phone, so if you've got a piece of property that you've already looked at, and I found this piece of property actually on the Wine We Game and Fish website, so I knew I had it there, and then I took the Onyx map system and actually zeroed in on it and downloaded a map so that when I, would, I, I was out of service, I could actually go back to it, turn the phone on airplane mode, and still look up inside of that map and uh, be able to use it, even though I was out of service. So really knowing that I had three or four spots to go to, even in a hard-to-access, limited inter, you know, limited-access area, uh, I still had those places to go to. So I, I knew right off the bat I've got these three or four places. I'm going to, you know, just gradually start checking them out. I think it was all preparation. I mean, from, you know, tents, making sure that I had all that stuff. Uh, food, you know, what am I going to bring food-wise? You know, do I skimp on this meal to save a little money, you know? Uh, that that's really what I was worried about the whole time was how much is this thing going to cost me? Really, I had almost everything except uh, four nights hotel and the gas paid for. I mean, er- everything I did before I went out there, you know, I, I pretty much already had it wrapped up. Uh, I, I think that was the biggest thing, knowing that. But. Travis, it sounds like you had you know, one heck of a time out there chasing antelope. Is this something you plan on doing, you know, either annually or semi-annually or, or is this kind of your intro to Western hunting and do you just plan on moving on to bigger and better things after the antelope hunt? Uh, well, this year, I mean, I, there's no doubt that's what got me hooked. You know, that was the first thing that I did when I went out there was just a no antelope tag. 
and of course that did you know like Newberg and y'all were talking about you know that is the gateway drug there, there's no getting around it I mean I went from one antelope doe tag to you know uh, two antelope buck tags the next year three antelope doe tags uh, I ended up with a over-the-counter elk tag you know a mule deer tag whatever else uh, now last year was kind of a you know, once in a lifetime type deal where I spent three and a half weeks doing. It. I saved up every bit of vacation I could get to do it. But it is no doubt the antelope is that gateway drug. That was the gateway drug for me to start into it. And now this year, you know, prepping for uh, upcoming year, I ended up getting lucky and uh, I drew Wyoming elk with a general tag and uh, got lucky and drew a uh, New Mexico Gila elk tag too. So. I've got a New Mexico elk Gila tag. I've got a uh, Wyoming elk tag. And uh, then, you know, go into Wyoming, have my dad fly in, where I think we're both chasing uh, mule deer and antelope again. So I still don't want to give up the antelope, even though I've got two elk tags, you know. So I started with antelope, and I don't see myself giving that one up. You know, really right now what my game plan is, I think I've got two points built up. So I'm still building points in Wyoming right now and just going and hunting antelope every year with a leftover tag. And I'll probably still hunt antelope on leftover tags up until I build enough points up to where I can actually go, you know, cash them in and get one of those special, you know, bigger antelope tags. Uh, that's really, that's my golden game plan. Now, Travis, while you said that, that's kind of got me really excited just because right now, uh, after this season, I'll have um, two points built up for antelope in Wyoming along with two elk points and then one mule deer point. Um, I, I know the point system is something that you know us Easterners are not used to at all. It's, it's kind of confusing um, when, it, when it comes to the point system. Uh, did, did that bother you at all? Uh, was there much of a learning curve for you to – to uh, understand the point system when it came to tags out there, or was it kind of something that uh, you know you learned rel- relatively quickly? Well, you know, obviously I, that is one of the factors I, I think that kept me from going out there before. You know, it had always been a, a dream or whatever. But got on the internet, started looking around. And I thought, man, I want to make this happen. Run into the uh, Newberg, you know, and his uh, YouTube videos and everything, and really he would start breaking down how it is you do this stuff and uh, I started listening to him he'd have different states you know pick these three states five states however many whatever your budget will allow take that money if you're going to do that if you don't go out there this year buy a point right well that's what I just you know kind of mm-hmm. started with I bought a point got a leftover antelope tag mm-hmm. and went out there did that uh, really that's that was it I mean I started building uh, but well, that's what that's well exactly. Well, that's one thing I'm I'm glad we're kind of talking about in this episode is a little bit more about the tag system and just points in general. That's something that you just said that's very important that a lot of people do not understand. Like people like my uncle. Okay, there's a lot of guys in the south. Again, I'll give an example of my uncle, who he, they've always wanted to do an elk hunt, always want to do this or that, but they're like, oh, that's you know once in a lifetime hunt. 
the whole reason we're doing this this series is to show that you could do that hunt every year, every other year if you really wanted to. And buying the point is the biggest factor in that and not just sitting still and waiting for it to happen. You have to be proactive in going out there and buying a point and start building up your system, especially if you're hunting like Wyoming. I know we're kind of focusing these last two episodes on Wyoming. One of the reasons because we have experience there and then our, you know you and then both Randy have experience hunting uh, Wyoming. But like if you're going to hunt Wyoming, you need to buy points whether you're going to go hunt out there or not just to start building that up to give you the opportunity to hunt out there. And then try to do a leftover antelope tag or, mule, or elk tag or something like that and get drawn for that. Um, but, I mean, that's the biggest factor right there is what you said is, you know, buy a point even if you're not going to go just so you can start building those up and have the opportunity to go in at a later time. Don't sit there on your couch and dream and like be on YouTube or something and just like, oh, man, I wish I could go and do an elk hunt. Well, be productive, be proactive, buy your point, and at least save up that time and your points until you have the money to be able to go out there and make that happen. And I think that's very important. A lot of people overthink that. Yeah, with, with points, you know, the best time to buy a point was yesterday. Yep. It's like planting a tree. <laughs> the best time to plant a tree was yesterday. Well, I, I have two points for sandbar deer in Florida right now, and man, dude, I'd I'd be real upset if I didn't have two points right now. If I hadn't put in two years ago and not drawn, and I only had one point right now, I'd be a I'd be a sad camper <laughs> because I might get that tag this year, man. I hope I do, but that just goes to show that if you if you're not buying points, you're just you're shooting yourself in the foot because you know in the future you're gonna want to do that hunt. You know if you're anything like us or you know, if you get to watching TV shows, YouTube videos about it, you're going to want to do it. And it's nice to have that in the bank, you know. Now, and the cool thing, Travis, about having you on here, and, you know, you have a looks now experience of hunting out west. But we also have Joey Bell sitting here right next to us, and he has not hunted out west yet. He's going to go on his first antelope hunt this year. So, Joey, I know you're going to go on your first antelope hunt. Uh, you know, you're doing the whole guy thing to kind of get your feet, in the, you know, underneath you. But what's your mindset when it comes to hunting out west and where you think that's going to go from after this antelope hunt oh i no doubt it's probably going to snowball and i'm going to have to work really hard to stay uh stay above uh stay above zero in my bank account and also uh, <laughs> stay married so uh, i get i get married next year so it's uh it's gonna be it's def- it's definitely gonna be a test that's for sure but uh no i agree with you know everything being said that the antelope you know, the antelope hunt's the gateway drug, and it's I'm already hooked uh, just listening to, you know, everything that's went on here in this interview. Uh, it's got me, you know, super pumped up for my antelope hunt. And, uh, yeah, I did go with the guy. I'm going with an outfitter. Uh, it cost me less than two grand to go with the outfitter. That's not bad. So it was very reasonable. Uh, I can drive out there, you know, for, you know, X amount of gas, which doesn't bother me get to see some scenery on the way or i could cash in some frequent flyer points because i travel a lot for work so i can fly out there and uh and you know take some coolers with me and still bring some meat back so my situation may be a little more you know maybe unique from other guys but i'm still able to just get out there and like jacob said just get my feet wet and get that experience now next year or within the next few years i'm i'll probably want to do a mule deer hunt or I'll I'll start buying points this year or next year and try to save up for an elk hunt somewhere. And if I live long enough and uh, <laughs> my my wife allows me to, maybe I can go on a moose hunt some somewhere sometime or another. Yeah, but man. The antelope mm-hmm. the antelope hunt is no doubt the that stepping stone into the west. And I you know like the guy said, 
we've talked about Wyoming uh, tonight, and we've talked about Wyoming in the last episode. Um, but you can hunt antelope, I believe, in so many other different yeah. states. I think even Nebraska, maybe even Kansas. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Nebraska. There's so many states that have a, a huntable population of antelope that, you know, you can just pull up stakes and go out. Mm-hmm. But uh, no doubt. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And it's uh, it's just going to get worse from here on out for me because I'll be going out there every chance I get. Oh, yeah. Now, Travis, you know, with with everything that's gone on with you in the last, you know, two years of you really been out there hunting, you know, where, where do you see yourself in, say, five years when it comes to just Western hunting, but also just hunting in general? Do you see yourself opening up to maybe doing different opportunities and uh, hunting elsewhere other than the West? Or are you going to try to focus on that right now as being kind of your, your major out-of-state, uh, you know, travel hunting? Yeah, I believe the West will be my major out-of-state, you know, system there. I mean, I'm looking at probably five total states out West right now. Uh, Right now, you know, the West used to be the dream hunt. Well, I started making that happen and uh, still got several dream hunts out West, you know, that I wanted to do. But, uh, you know, I haven't looked past, uh, I don't want to say that I, would never do a uh, Alaskan type deal. You know, I'd love to do that. Uh, and I really wouldn't care what it is I hunted up there, but Alaska is that next step, I think, for me to where, uh, you know, I've hunted Wyoming, you know, Colorado, and, you know, here before too long, several other states probably in the next few years. But uh, Alaska to me, I think, is that one that I really need to start looking into. Uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of people now are starting to really chip in and go to uh, New Zealand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, that would be outstanding. You know, I, mean, I, I think that one's going to take a whole lot more research for me to be able to do, but uh, not knowing anything at all about it, but it, it, that definitely seems like something you know I'd like to really you know, strive to be able to get here before too long. Yeah, and one thing you said about Alaska, that's one thing that's interested me as well. Uh, I've kind of set a goal that I want to go on a caribou hunt in the next five years. And the cool thing about, like, caribou up in Alaska is you can do that hunt uh, for, you know, a reasonable cost. I mean, you're looking at, you know, probably three or $4,000 to do a, a float plane hunt, drop in for a couple of days. But uh, it's, it's very reasonable. But I know we're kind of branching out to something, like, totally different. You know, us being Southerners, all of us being here, you know, being from Alabama and Tennessee. But it's, it's just really cool to find people like this that have this mindset of, you know, wanting to go hunt out west, wanting to go hunt other places. Just because you live in the south don't mean you have to hunt in the south. Now, with that being said, you know, some people might not want have the urge or, you know, they don't have the want to go hunt anywhere else. They might be fine with hunting in their backyard or, you know, their local management area or their lease. That's fine. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with that. But I, I love the adventure of going and doing something different, something I've never done before, maybe something none of my peers have ever done before, and have that experience that will last you a lifetime. And that's one thing we got out of our Western hunt when we went to Wyoming for mule deer. I mean, it was absolutely something that, you know, no one else that I really know that's super close to me could really uh, relate with on, on the same par. Um, so, so it's just something really interesting that we did that, you know, a lot of people have actually come to us to kind of ask us questions about that. Again, the reason why we're doing this series. Uh, but that, that's awesome that, you know, you're kind of thinking about maybe going to Alaska. I think that's another great opportunity that a lot of people – 
definitely thinks outside of their it's outside of their uh, first of all their budget, second of all their price or you know budget price point, and then also their time and uh, you know it's you know unrealistic for them. Which again, manage your time, manage your money correctly, you can make that happen as well. And that, that's kind of my game point for that. Uh, so I'm excited to hear that you're looking at the same thing. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I, I still do the majority of my hunting right here, right local. And, you know, I'd say most of the times I'm only going to be able to put a week to two weeks, you know, with that trip, that one trip out west every year, you know, wherever it may be. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely would suggest for anybody that's dreaming about doing that, you know, just make sure that you actually make that plunge. You know, you've got to totally commit to do it. And uh, I, I think that's what kept me from doing it for years after years was, uh, you know, ah, well, I don't have the money this year. I don't have this or I got to go with somebody. And I finally just said, ah, it, yep, it's going right. to happen this year. There you go. And uh, <laughs> bought the tag and did it. I said, ah, if I got to go three and a half weeks by myself, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. But, uh, <laughs> I think making that plunge, you know, that initial plunge to do it, buy the tag and go from there you know i mean do your homework whatever else you got to do but uh yeah totally committing to it was the biggest thing yeah travis i couldn't said it any better i mean like you said buy the tag and take the plunge and another thing i just noticed about all four of us here both uh andrew myself and joey then yourself uh, is that we're all bha members backcountry hunter angler members and that's one thing that i want to kind of touch on right now uh, before we wrap this up is just you know guys if you're interested in doing a western hunt there's not a better organization to get part of than backcountry hunters and anglers you're going to find guys that are from your backyard you know around where you live whether tennessee alabama georgia anywhere in the southeast with our southeast chapter that have, first of all, a passion for, first of all, public lands, okay? Second of all, a lot of the guys have either hunted out west or going out west and are very interested in it. So if you're interested in doing something like that, definitely need to reach out to the southeastern uh, chapter of the BHA group and get, get involved. Come to one of our Pint Night events. Uh, I know after this episode will drop, unfortunately, we'll have our storytelling event uh, this weekend on Saturday, which will be a great time we're all going to get together like we kind of talked about in the intro. Um, but, you know, that's something, guys, to get involved with if you're thinking about going out west and kind of whether it's finding somebody maybe to go with you or at least to find somebody that can really kind of coach you along and help you maybe learn a little bit more about what you need to get done. Um, but, again, Travis, uh, you know, you, you've we've taken enough of your time, I believe, for this evening. Uh, we appreciate you kind of coming on and, you know, really helping us close the gap on Western hunting in general, and especially with your mindset coming out there and, you know, being able to do an antelope hunt and really, first of all, getting bit by the bug. Second of all, having a ton of success. Uh, I mean, being able to have five tags and be able to harvest, you know, you know, three of those is, is huge. So that's definitely something that a lot of guys I think are going to get out of this episode, along with myself. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing an antelope hunt my, uh, myself in the future. But, uh, before we turn it over and uh you know cap out this episode joey do you have anything else you want to talk about uh or ask any questions before we wrap it up mr tennessee state chair yep yeah that's it that's me uh yeah <laughs> uh referencing back to the bha uh if uh, anyone in the tennessee area you know has any questions or uh, wants to know anything about the backcountry hunters and anglers in the middle tennessee area uh like they said i am the tennessee state chair as of you know a few weeks ago uh, feel free to look me up on Facebook, uh, Joey Bell. Uh, I'm, a, I, I'm a member of the Southeast Chapter Facebook page. You can find me on there. 
Uh, I'd be more than happy to talk with anybody. Uh, and we were actually toying around before we recorded the episode here uh, about going squirrel hunting on some public land maybe tomorrow. So squirrel season is still open for another week or so. Um, so before uh, June 10th, if anybody wants to get out and uh, get some uh, get some freezer meat in the small edible quantities, uh, uh, I'd be more than happy to do that. But uh, uh, Travis, I really appreciate you know being a part of this tonight. And I learned a lot, and it's got me super pumped for my antelope hunt. And uh, I can't wait to hopefully share some success stories with uh, with everybody uh, after October this year. Heck yeah, man. And Andrew, do you have anything else you want to touch on? Uh, I'm just jealous. Just jealous. <laughs> <laughs> aren't, aren't we all? But like you said, Travis, you know, you got to buy the tag and take the plunge. Don't overthink it. Just make it happen. Uh, but once again, Travis, we appreciate you coming on this evening and uh, really making this happen for us and uh, setting off our uh, second part of our four-part series of this Western series, uh, you know, talking about antelope, man. So uh, I hope you have a great rest of your summer, and I hope your fall is very uh, bountiful and uh, you just have a, a great fall, and hopefully we'll get back in touch with you and see uh, how all that goes for you. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on uh you know that's a great thing y'all got going on here you know uh between uh southern outdoorsman and uh bha i you know i can't wait to see you guys next week yeah man we appreciate it buddy All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.